Welcome to the Life of Christ, Series 5, Term 1. This is Lesson 5. We are on page 9. So, returning to Mark chapter 3 now, verse 13, excuse me, verse 18 goes to list the next eight disciples to be called apostles, beginning with Andrew, who Luke, in Luke 6.14, identifies as Peter's brother. We'll talk about each of these. Philip Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, uh, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, he's also known as Labius, and even Judas, the son of James, and then Simon the Can- uh, Canaanite. A better translation is actually Simon the Canaan, like what I've said there, Can- yeah, that, meaning the zealot, and whom therefore Luke 6.15 identifies as Simon called the, the zealot because of that. Now, let's go back to Andrew. Briefly, Andrew again was one of the disciples who left John the Baptist along with John to follow Jesus. Now, I've given you a scripture reference. Uh, There's a whole lot of scriptures down the bottom so that you can refer back to those scriptures if you need. Uh, And who also, again, brought his brother Simon Peter to Jesus. And that's also given down the bottom there in John 1, 41 and 42. So next on the list is Philip. So that's all we know about Andrew. (laughs) Okay. Sadly, there's not a lot known about Andrew. Peter has so much said about him, uh, and Andrew, that's all we get. So, next on the list is Philip, who was one who said to Nathaniel, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Remember to which Nathan, uh, Nathaniel replied, Can any good, thi- you know, good come out of Nazareth, or any good thing come out of Nazareth, I think that King James says. And to which Philip simply said, come and see. And remember again, we talked about that in some length, you know, that sometimes the simplest uh, message, the simplest evangelism is to say, look, check it out for yourself. You know what I mean? I think sometimes we try so hard to convince people. And it's a funny thing with people. The more you try to convince them, the more they back off. I don't know. I've just found that. They just go on the defensive. Uh, So anyway... It is also Philip who Jesus, when seeing a great multitude approaching, tests with the question, Philip, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? This is in John 6, 5. To which Philip answers, 200 dinara worth of bread is not sufficient for them. Or as the New Living Translation puts it like it, it says it would take a small fortune to feed them. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people there. Uh, following which Jesus feeds the 5,000 with five loaves and two small fish. Remember that. That's an amazing incident. Uh, but most memorable of all is when Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. And to which Jesus replied, and this is in John fourteen nine, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Thank God Philip asked the question. We got that revelation, didn't we? Amen? And I think that is just astounding. Next on the list is Bartholomew. Uh, short, f- uh, and this is short for Nathaniel, son of Tolmai, who, as we've just seen, is best remembered for saying, "Can any good come out of Nazareth, or good thing come out of Nazareth?" Okay, but who also went on to confess before anyone else ever did, "Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel." See, that's something a lot of people miss. They think that Peter was the first one to uh, proclaim him as, as Lord, Amen, and 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 Savior. It wasn't. Way back here, in John chapter 1 and verse 49, he actually confessed him as the Son of God. And, and went on to say, you're the King of Israel. That's actually quite huge. Because that's, that's a whole other revelation in itself. 
Um, so anyway, let's move on. And Jesus saying about him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. So that, that's pretty powerful. All right. Next is Matthew. I'm trying not to spend too much time on these. So um, this is me making a huge effort. Next is Matthew, formerly known as Levi, the tax collector, to whom uh, Jesus simply said, follow me, and who not only uh, got up and left everything and followed him, that's in Luke, as I've shown you, Luke 5, 27 to 28, but who also went on to write the Gospel of Matthew. I think that is extraordinary. You know, I mean... We see some very different things going on with these disciples. Uh, and I think it's really interesting to see how each one responded to Jesus. You know, there was Peter that, uh, when we look at Peter, James, John, and Andrew, because the four of them were really together. Uh, remember, they were, they were all four of them fishermen. They had their own business, but remember Peter and Andrew had theirs, and, and James and John had theirs. And, um, you know, it took several occasions before they made a full commitment to the Lord, you know. Um, and, but, you know, and we don't hear so much uh, about Levi, about Matthew. And yet, he, you know, the, as soon as Jesus said, follow me, he did. Who does that? Seriously, I mean, who just drops everything? And, and, and that was a prosperous business too. Can I say that? <laughs> okay? This, uh, so we, one of the things that we need to see from this or two things really that are really significant is number one, even if you're rich, you know when people say, oh, rich people can't come into the kingdom? Well, he was rich. Matthew, Levi was rich. Okay, the guy was doing well. He threw a big party as well. You know, he had money. So when Jesus was talking about the rich young ruler, he wasn't categorizing every rich person out there because, you know, Levi would have, Matthew would have said, "Uh, excuse me? Pardon me? Okay. All right. Now, I don't know where the timing on all that is, but you know what I'm trying to say. It would have been a little bit like you're a little biased here, Jesus. I left everything straight away. Pete, Pete didn't do that. I did. Me. Mine. You know, okay. All right. So, we need to see something here that it's not how much money you have, but how much money has you. Do you understand? You know, and see, this is always what the deal is. We need to be careful that as God blesses us, that we, it, we keep, that relationship stays that way. We have the money. The money never has us. So we have to let go of it. We let go of it, man. And we just give it wherever we need to give it. Because it's in sowing that we reap a harvest. Amen? Amen. Okay. Okay. So I, I think that is extraordinary. Uh, following this, we have Thomas, who is probably best known for his refusal to believe the report of the Lord's resurrection by the other disciples, and who said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails... I mean, who says all that? I, seriously, you know, I mean, you know, it's one thing to say, uh, boys, I find that a little hard to believe. Look at the lengths to which he goes. Would you do that? Can somebody be honest with me? Would you actually say, until I see the nail marks, until I stick my finger through the... Uh, like, Thomas, gee, get a grip, dude. I, you, nobody wants to do that. You know what I'm trying to say? We really need to see this, you know. Uh, <laughs> but we're going to redeem Thomas in just a minute. 
Okay. And he says, until I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Okay, poor guy, get remembered for that only. But it also, and that's why I said, it must also be noted that immediately following the Lord's appearance to him in John 20 and verse 28, we're going to see, this is still to come, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. He did it. He received him as God. Amen. And Lord, to which Jesus then goes and makes the most famous statement in John 20 and verse 29, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He says, Thomas, you saw and you believe now. And we all fall in this category, blessed. You're all blessed. Did you know that? Because you believe without seeing. Amen? Amen. As William Hendrickson put it, I really love what he said. Thomas was a man, uh, was a man of both despondency and devotion. I like that. You know, just nailed it. Next on the list is James, the son of Alphaeus. Also known as James the Less in Mark 15.40, meaning either James the Younger or James Small in Stature. I don't know, okay? Small James, I don't know. And, <laughs> and about whom we have virtually no information, except for the fact that his father, Alphaeus, is not, uh, is not Matthew's father who also happens to be named Alpheus. So we just know they're not brothers or anything. After this is Thaddeus, who is, uh, this guy, I tell you, who is identified in Matthew 10.3 as Labius, whose surname was Thaddeus, who is also identified in Luke 16 as Judas, the son of James. I mean, this guy has so many names. And further, in John 14.22 as Judas, not Iscariot, just in case. You know, go string up the wrong guy. And of whom very little is ever known, or is known. In fact, all we know from what is said about him in John 14.22 is that it would seem that he really wanted Jesus to show himself to the world. We'll get to that. Okay. The last name we have in verse 18 is Simon the Canaanite, or as Luke identifies him in his gospel as Simon called the Zealot, simply because... The phrase, the Canaanite, is an Aramaic surname meaning uh, enthusiast or zealot. Okay? It is believed that he had belonged to the party of the zealots, a group determined to overthrow Rome, uh, the Roman domination in Palestine. So uh, nothing, uh, n- nothing more is known about him except that in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, infers his presence there. So we're not really sure, okay? Along with all the other apostles, except of course Judas Iscariot, who killed himself, all right? Where Luke writes in Acts 1, and I just want to read these few verses, uh, where Luke says, The former account I made of Theophilus of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles, uh, whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So added to everything else, we've considered these verses, uh, we've considered these verses of Scripture can be attributed to all the apostles that we've looked at up to now as well. Now, that brings us to Mark chapter 3 and verse 19, which goes on to conclude the list with a single name saying, and Judas, in, interesting, eh? Th- this was put in a separate verse by the translators. Um, and, and we've got and. It's interesting when you just start a sentence in the middle with and. And Judas Iscariot, who also, be- who also betrayed him. Or as Luke 6, 16 puts it, who also became a traitor. And they went, and they went into a house 
or literally went home, indicating that Jesus returned to Capernaum. Now, the name Judas Iscariot is generally interpreted as meaning Judas, the man from uh, Kerioth, which is a place in southern Judea, south of Hebron, and probably the only non-Galilean of the group. Although some prefer the interpretation, the dagger man. I don't know where that comes from. Anyway, so, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thought I'd put that in there. The Gospels make several different references to him, such as Judas who betrayed him, Judas one of the twelve, the betrayer, Judas the son of, uh, son of Simon Iscariot, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, I mean, or simply Judas. So I put all that down because what happens sometimes is you get to a certain name, like James, and then you don't know which James it is. So I wanted to list these so that if ever you found this, because remember it has, there's another Judas, not Iscariot kind of thing, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I want you to be able to know that this is where all the references are to him. If it isn't, in, if it isn't one of these references, it ain't him. So be nice, <laughs> okay? Because, you know, we read and go, oh, this is that Judas, oh, okay, you know? We, we don't like him straight away. All right, so William Hendrickson writes, This man, though thoroughly responsible for his own wicked deeds, was an instrument of the devil. I like that. Okay. See, Satan can only use what you let him use. Can I say that? Yeah, okay. And, you know, um, it's, it's up to us to decide what we give him to use against us. It's a thing to think about. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about everything. I mean, our time, you know, our thoughts, um, uh, just anything, really. Finances. You, know, you might say, well, I never give anything to the devil. Well, you know, sometimes we, we might buy things from places and people that we don't know what we're funding at the end of the day. It's a thing, family. I, you know, I'm sort of, I pray over things I buy. Hello. Amen. Do you pray when you go shopping? Absolutely. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I, mostly, God, but don't I get, you know. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> lead me away from temptation. Whatever it is. But the thing, there are some things I'll pick up Seriously, I'll pick up and I'll go, this, something is wrong with this. You know, and I'll turn it around and it will have something to indicate some foreign thing is getting my money. Can I say that nicely? Okay. That are not pro-Christian. Okay. It's just totally against. So, I just, as much as I like and I want, I don't. I put it down. I just walk away. I don't know, man. It's just, so again, you know, there are so many ways. That don't ever go and think some of the worst things. There are subtle things all over in our life that we just need to keep an eye out for. Amen? Amen. Okay, just for whatever it's worth. All right. <clears throat> While other people, when they felt that they could no longer agree or even tolerate Christ's teaching, would simply disassociate themselves from him, I like that, in John 6.66. Can we just quickly read that one? Because <laughs> it says there, look down the bottom of your page. Uh, it says there, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. So there were people that disagreed with him. You know, this, this is, there's going to be a very controversial message he's going to preach at one point. He's going to you know, thin out the herd a bit. Let's just see who's really with me and who's not. Let's throw a hard saying out there and see what comes back. <laughs> you know, okay? It's interesting, isn't it? Um, and so, you know, as, as, as much as others just, if they couldn't tolerate his teaching or didn't agree with him, they just walked away. It goes and they say, Judas, however, remained as if he were in full accord or agreement with him. See, that's what made it wrong. 
that Judas could have walked off at any time. Judas could have thought, you know what, I, I can't do this. This is just, I, I want him to do things. Because there's a lot of theories about why Judas did what he did. There's a theory that, you know, uh, obviously, you know, the, the money side of things. Okay, and then he regretted what he did and hung himself. Um, there's the other theory that you know he belonged to a group that really wanted Jesus to to just get up and be, be the Messiah, and thought if we just push him hard enough, if we because he he tends to sidestep all the landmines. You know, they try all sorts of things. You know, should we give tribute? He goes, well, whose face is on the thing? And, you know, they go, well, it's, it's, it's you know, Caesar's face. Well, render unto Caesar, you know, that's it's Caesar's and to God, that's which God. And they go, oh my gosh. He really wanted Jesus to be pushed to a corner so that there was no way out of it. And so he'll come out, you know, suddenly will, you know, like the Superman movies, you know, and it just gets that bad. You rip the shirt off and the cape flies in the wind and boy, you go for it. And you go, yeah, you really ask for it, you know. Uh, and that's what Judas was looking for, some people believe. And that's the reason why he hung himself, because Jesus didn't do it. He allowed himself to be captured and allowed himself to be crucified. And in a horrific way, you know, it was a horrific death. And he just couldn't handle that. Because he was like, a lot of people believe this, that he really, that Jesus would have really just come out. Just, Judas kind of want to, you know, people believe he just want to slap Jesus in the face and they'd wake up, man. You know, all this, all this, you know, flowers in your hair business doesn't work. Even though he was raising dead people. See, Judas didn't see any of that stuff. You know, you can be in the midst of it. You can experience it. And you can be miles away. You can even lay hands on the sick and watch him recover and still not get it. Remember, he was sent out. Amen? Things to think about. For one reason, we need to be careful about what we think is okay in our life and you know, what we might allow into our life. That it takes like little things to change us in a direction that one day we suddenly think, Oh my gosh, how did I ever get here? You know what I'm trying to say? And um, it's, just, it's just a warning. It's just a warning for all of us. Because I think if we make those little corrections, if we kind of go, no, you know, I could, but I won't. You know, just in the thought life. That's why it says casting down every imagination. Have you noticed in order for something to take root, you've got to imagine it? Just a fleeting thought doesn't do anything. Can I deliver you, some of you, with that one? Okay. You know, if you look at something and you, you think a bad thought and you think, oh, I shouldn't have done that. You know, that's it. It's the one that you take on board and you think more and more of it. That's the one that we're worried about now. Because those are the imaginations. Because your imagination fires up, things begin. I wonder where Judas began to imagine this. Do you understand? It would have taken a lot for him to betray his master, his Lord, his provider. You know, they say, don't bite the hand that feeds you. You know what I'm trying to say? Okay, anyway. Okay. So that's what made his betrayal so sinful, even though he too would have been forgiven if he had only come to the resurrected Christ and asked for forgiveness. After all, Christ died for all sinners, even the ones that crucified him. Amen? Isn't that incredible? Had Judas just... Just hung in there. <laughs> I, that was a joke. Okay, <laughs> if he just if he just avoided hanging himself, seriously, 
I truly believe there would have been forgiveness for him. Because that's what Jesus did, you know. That's what he tells us to do. Regardless of what they do to you, love him. And I think Jesus would have said, it's okay, man. It's all right. It's done. Let's move on. What an incredible idea, anyway. Something tremendous could have come out of that. All right. But that's how the devil works. First, he tempts you to sin. Then, he condemns you for that sin. And convinces you that there is no forgiveness for it. Remember, he is both the tempter and also the accuser of the brethren. Those are two of the greatest revelations that you can get about him. Amen? All right. Uh, I've spent time preaching on that, so I won't do it now. We will no doubt be looking at Judas and his actions in more detail as we encounter him in the future gospel accounts, needless to say. Uh, from, for now, however, with regard to the twelve that Jesus chose, their various natures and characters, William Hendrickson writes, What points up the greatness of Jesus is that he took such men as these <laughs> and welded them into an amazingly influ- influential community that would prove to be uh, not only a worthy link with Israel's past, but also a solid foundation for the church's future. Even when we leave out Judas Iscariot and concentrate only on the others, we cannot fail to be impressed with the majesty of the Savior, whose drawing power, incomparable wisdom and matchless love, were so astounding that he was able to gather around himself and to unite into one family men of entirely different, at times even opposite, backgrounds and temperaments. See, that was what was so awesome. You know, um, we always, we heard the saying, birds of a feather, you know, flock together. These weren't. It's like a turkey and a goose and an eagle. And, you know, it's just like they were all... We're interested to put them all as birds, eh? It would be interesting what it all turns out. <laughs> oh, you goose, you know. <laughs> but uh, I just think it, it, it shows us that in God, what is impossible for the world is possible in the church. You know, and it should be one of those things that marks the church as being different. Instead of what we see sometimes in churches, they do the exact opposite and are even worse. You know, they just hang with their own, so to speak. They can't... They and it takes a certain level of insight, uh, understanding, uh, tolerance, forgiveness, I could keep going, to actually work with certain people that are very, very different. And to sort of understand people and not just be looking for others like yourself... But understand that the ones that are most not like you are probably the ones that are going to make up the difference where because you're not like that, you don't do certain things that are good. Amen? And you know, that, that's one of the things that I realized that we, we shouldn't be, you know, I'm not looking for people with same things. There was a, a time that I did that. You know, when you first start out, you're looking for everybody to agree with you and you're looking for everybody that's like you. you know, I'm just saying, okay, that's how you start. Because you're just so insecure and so unsure and everybody's challenging you. you. You always have that aunt that keeps saying, Oh, you should go and join a denomination. What is wrong with you starting your own church? You know, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, and, and it just it, it, it kind of shakes you to the core a little bit. You know, and so you're, you're looking for kind of validation. You're looking for people to sort of validate you, you know. Um, but that's not what Jesus did. It's interesting, huh? He knew who he was. And in time, as you grow, that's what happens. You get to a place, and I pray that you know, we're all there, uh, to the place where you realize that, hey, you don't have to prove anything to anyone. 
and you have certain gifts and you're not going to uh, apologize for what you don't have. Can I say that? Just because somebody else wants it, hey, you're not the one then that they should be looking at. Look somewhere else. Because it ain't here. Hello, okay. But at the same time, see, once you realize that, then you think, okay, you know, people that are different, how can you uh, make up for my, dif- for, for my lack, in a sense? You know, and you can then work that way, understand them, and, and, and have a relationship that is a blessing to everybody around you. Because it's like, if it's not me, just go see them. I, I'm that person. That's the one you want to see. And then, you know, they'll go, thank you. And shouldn't we be that way? And that's, that's, that's the reason why, you know, I just always think, there are churches out there, and they're all doing something different. And if people don't belong in this church, well, maybe they'll belong over there. I don't, I'm not upset when somebody leaves the church. I always remember the Apostle John. I know he was using it in a different way, but it applies kind of across the board when you really think about it deeply enough. You know, if, if they left from us, they were never with us. Kind of thing. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Because when you come to a place where you know you belong, you just don't want to leave that place. But if you're there and you don't feel like you belong, then you know, you're going to be that squiggly little thing that's in there, and you're squiggling and you're causing everybody else to start to squiggle. It's better if you just left. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? And it's a good thing. And you, know, you should never see it. I, I don't ever see people leaving in that way. As a loss, I see it as a gain to the body. Because I think, okay, wherever they're going, they're going to be used to their max, and they're going to excel, and they're not going to be standing there going, oh gosh, uh, why am I not fitting in, and what's wrong with me, and everything else. They kind of go, thank God I'm in a church where you know, I'm doing the things that I want to do, so to speak. Amen? Amen. Alright. Um, we're almost there. Let me just finish this off. For example, there was Peter the optimist, Thomas the pessimist. Simon, the former zealot, who hated taxes, and Matthew, who uh, also called Levi, that collected taxes. <laughs> okay? James and John, the sons of thunder, who stood out of the crowd, and James the less, Nathaniel and Thaddeus, who were very much in the background, and whom uh, we hear very little from. Jesus drew them all to himself, and loved them to the uttermost. That is, this is brought out in what uh, John chapter 13 verse 1 says, and that is now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come, and he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. Isn't that beautiful? I think that's beautiful. But not only did Jesus love them and give his life up for them, but following his death, burial, and re- resurrection, they are going to do, they are going to do likewise with Revelation 12, 11, putting it so well when it says, and they loved not their lives unto death. That's the perfect summary of the kind of men they would turn out to be in the end. Except for Judas, of course. Okay, we're going to stop there, take a break, come back and go on to talk about Jesus' power to heal.